Being an independent, self-sustained hero works great on television, but what about the day-to-day Christian life? Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. Sometimes it feels like we're up against the whole world and our own selfish desires, and we drop the ball constantly. To top it off, there's this underlying social pressure within Christianity that you need to pull your own weight or sanctify yourself. Sound eerily familiar? Well, if you can relate to that, you'll appreciate the message today. It's from our Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series, and today's message is called, The Christian Life is Not a Solo Effort. Here's part two. And so the question this morning that I want to pursue with you is this, is why is the gospel way of holiness so hard to learn? The reason the gospel way of obedience is so hard to learn is because the gospel way of obedience is far above the way you and I naturally think. So the scriptures uh, tell us two things about living an obedient life. Two things. First, the scriptures tell us what God wants us to do. That's called the law. And the scriptures, second, tell us how we can actually do it. That is the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. Which of these two ways, law or gospel, is easier for you to understand and learn? Is it not the law? You see, we naturally think as law keepers because this is how God created us. And so by virtue of our creation is why the law is natural to us. As human beings, we are wired for law. This is what Michael Horton says about this in his book, Christless Christianity. He says, we come into this world ready for action. The only difference since the fall is that we've gone AWOL, using all of these gifts of our creation against the creator and making a mess of things. He says, we need the cross, but we think we just need to find our way back to the glory road to resume our upward march. He's exactly right. You see, the law is a doctrine whose seed is written in our hearts, written by nature in our hearts. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, it's called the conscience. You can't get away from it. The law is written by nature into our hearts. We just do not naturally think that we are born in sin, that we are spiritually dead, helpless, and unable to lift a finger to save ourselves or impress a holy God. See, this is our problem. Too often we want to default back to thinking of obedience to God's law like Adam prior to the fall. It's the Nike slogan, just do it. Tell me what to do, Uh, just do it. Americans, we're, we're get-or-done people, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and we're going to get her done. You see, we still think we're like Adam prior to the fall where God created Adam and Eve so that they could perform what God required of them in his law. But you see, Adam, the scriptures clearly teach that through the prompting of the devil by willful disobedience robbed himself and all of his descendants, that is you and me, of this power to obey God's law now. 
And consequently, what has happened is that this gospel way of obeying God's law post-fall is very different. It is very far above the way you and I naturally think. Let, let me give you an illustration from church history about this. Um, how many of you have heard of St. Augustine? Right? How many of you have heard of the heretic Pelagius? Right? Pelagianism. The, the most condemned heresy in the church is Pelagianism. Right? I believe it was four councils. Uh, it may have been more, but at least four church councils condemned Pelagianism. I mean, it is, it is the most condemned heresy in the church. So uh, back in the 4th and 5th century, Augustine was confronted by this British monk named Pelagius. And Pelagius confronted Augustine because he was very offended by something that Augustine had written. He had written in his confessions a prayer, and here was the prayer. Give what you command and command what you will. Pelagius was offended by this, and he thought it was an outrageous thing to say, give what you command and command what you will. Because Pelagius was convinced that only Adam had originally fallen and nobody else. Pelagius did not believe that all men were sinners in Adam. Listen, and that all men were robbed of the power to obey what God required in his law. So in other words, Pelagius denied the doctrine of original sin. What is the doctrine of original sin? It is the total corruption of the human race. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51 that David prays. And so original sin is the fallen condition in which we are born. But for Pelagius, we only become sinners when we actually sin. And so for Pelagius to pray, give what you command, implies to him that we cannot of ourselves do what God commands. And so you see, Pelagianism is the natural way of thinking. It's to go back prior to the fall and insert yourself back into creation before there was a fall. It's to think like Adam before the fall. Pelagius wanted to be like Adam pre-fall and mistakenly believe, and he taught that men could perform what God required in his law because he said, if God would require of us something that we cannot perform, God is not righteous. That is the natural way of thinking. And it is the way of thinking that we can be tempted to fall back into ourselves because the gospel way of obedience is so far above the way that we naturally think. New covenant obedience is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not the product of our own efforts to just get it done. In Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah prophesies of the new covenant, he not only includes the forgiveness of our sins, but he also includes a, a total restoration that begins with regeneration and a new obedience that is offered. And so the gospel way of obedience is the way in which the dead are brought to life to live for God. Heartfelt trust and obedience has always been God's intention from the very beginning. How did God create man? This is, what, this is so important to understand. 
Reformed confession of the Christian faith doesn't begin with the sin of man and, and man fallen in his sinful state. It begins with the goodness of God's creation. God created us in his image as his own people to reflect his glory, to rule over the rest of creation faithfully until this whole earth would be filled with the glory of his name. And so God, listen, in creation, we were created strong, not weak. We were were created faithful, not unfaithful. We were created righteous, not wicked. We were created God-centered, not self-centered. But then the fall, because of man's willful rebellion, the fall created this break, this fissure, this departure. And Adam, through the prompting of the devil, by his own willful obedience, he robbed himself and he robbed all of his descendants, that is you and me, of the power to perform what God required in his law. And here's the good news. The good news is that God, out of his love and mercy, would not stop until he completely restored his image in us. And so through the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings us to life, making us a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts and he unites us to Christ. And Paul says, listen, who Christ has become for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so in the announcement of the gospel, there's a twofold message of good news. There is the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. There is justification, just as if I have never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed perfectly. But then there's up more good news. There's not just the forgiveness of my sins and the, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, but because Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection are reckoned to us, The Holy Spirit is now working in us that obedience which God's law could never accomplish. And that's good news. As I stated just a moment ago, heartfelt trust and obedience has always been God's intention from the beginning. And now through the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings us to life and gives us this new nature. And what does this new nature consist of? Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, question 90. This new nature consists in heartfelt joy in God. This is what the Holy Spirit is producing through the gospel. The Holy Spirit is causing us now to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works, whatever that might be. Now, to be sure, and you know this, our obedience is never perfect, perfect and complete in this life. Who, who's had a perfect track record this week, right? You see, this, this inner renewal, this renovation are always in process. We are, we are works in process. And so we will fall short of the holiness of heart and life that we will enjoy in glorification, but we don't have to despair even when it gets really bad. And I know for some of you, it does get really bad and it gets really hard. You know how I know how bad and hard it gets for you? 
Do you know why I know? Not just because I meet with you and talk to you about it, because it gets really bad and hard for me. I'm not immune to original sin just because I happen to be a pastor, right? He's the holy man. No, 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 no. Oh, we don't have to despair, even though it gets very, very hard. Because why? We are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is relentless. We have died with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. We have been, well, we have been buried with Christ and we have been raised with Christ to walk, Paul says, in newness of life. And these new covenant blessings cannot be reversed. He says in Romans chapter 11, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And so therefore, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 14, we can pursue the gospel way of holiness not to become something that we're not, but to obey out of who we are now in Christ. I want you to listen carefully to how Paul structures this. In Philippians chapter 3, you might want to turn there, beginning in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained it. So there, perfection, throw that out the window, right? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but... He's not despairing. What does he do? Woe is me. I'm just so bad. I just can't do it. Not this worm-based, inward-focused theology. Okay, yes, I'm not perfect yet, right? I'm realistic. I still sin, Romans 7. Think Romans 7 in this phrase here. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I'm always doing. Wretched man that I am. Not that I've already obtained it or become perfect. That's it right there. What does he say? I press on. That's the same word for persecution. When he persecuted back in the, you know, he says early in the chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, I violently persecuted the church of God. That's That's passion. That's vigor. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, you know, all of his life in Judaism and all of his self-righteousness, all that, leave all that behind. And he says, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I, here it is, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I sin all the time. I am not perfect, but I forget my self-righteous past. I am in union with Christ, so I reach forward and I press on. I don't despair. I do sin. I do blow it, but I press on and I keep reaching forward. You see, the indicative, the gospel, look, where is it? It's here He says it. He says, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? He is, he has laid hold of me. He is holding my life. And that drives his obedience. That drives his pursuit of holiness. Look at all these imperatives. Look at all this action. Jesus has laid hold of me. Therefore, I press on so that I may lay hold of him. 
He says, I am, look, I am reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize. And so this gospel way of obedience is counterintuitive. It is very far above the way you and I naturally think. For the average person that we meet on the street, the purpose of religion is to make people better. It's Oprah. That's basically what you hear in many pulpits preaching today. Here are six key secrets this week for you and your wife and your kids to work on to really have an overcoming life this week. And before you even pull out of the parking lot, your baby in the back seat is already acting up and you just lost your temper. You see, every person carries around within themselves a tarnished recognition of the covenant of works. It's called the conscience. But the gospel doesn't work like the covenant of works. It comes to us as news from outside of us, brought to us by a foolish messenger. The gospel is not natural to us. It is utterly foreign. It is far above the way that we naturally think. That is why pursuing obedience and holiness is so hard for us to learn. This is what Michael Horton says again. Uh, you might notice he is one of my favorites. You know, he's one of my, he is one of my mentors, and I don't apologize for that. He says the law, and he's just quoting Paul from Galatians right here. He says, law cannot bring life. Law cannot bring life. God's law can't bring you life. Oprah's tips for you how to have a better life and be a better person cannot bring you life. It doesn't matter what kind of law it looks like. If it's Joel Osteen with a perfect smile and it's going down and it tastes like sugar. It's law and it won't give you life. Law cannot bring life. Paul says that exact thing in Galatians 3. Religion, he says, is the house of bondage. Yet the gospel brings good news about what someone else has done for us. Listen to this good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How did God do it? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law, love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly, might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The good news, Paul says, is God himself has done for us what the law itself could never do but required. The law commands, but only God saves. And so he says, this is not only good news for the newly converted, but it's good news for the mature believer. 
As John Murray says, the law cannot do any more in sanctification than it did in justification. It is no more the office of the law, even in its third use, to empower us for holiness than it is to raise us from the dead and put us right before God in the first place. The law cannot justify you and the law cannot sanctify you. The only source of life and power in the Christian life is the same as it was when you got started. It's called the gospel. It is the good news, this foreign, strange announcement that is outside of us that tells us that God has done for us what the law and what our own obedience could never do. And so, listen, we always respond now to the law, not because we are condemned and we've got to go obey or else, because that's a covenant of works. We respond to the law in its third use as those who have been saved, those who are being saved, that's sanctification, and those who will be saved, that's glorification. We respond to the law according to God's promise within a covenant of grace, not a covenant of works. And so this gospel way of obedience is the way of salvation. And the way of salvation is why the gospel way of obedience is so hard to learn. Why? Because as we said last time, what is sanctification? It is the work of God's free grace. Do you know how many people believe that sanctification is their work? God gets you in by grace, but you keep and complete yourself by your work or your cooperation with grace. That's not the gospel, and that's not how it works. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby the Holy Spirit, listen, is progressively conforming your heart and life and my heart and life to the law of God. That's salvation. And so the gospel way of obedience is counterintuitive. It is far above the way that we naturally think. But here's the good news. If you are in Christ this morning, you are a new creation. And this indicative, the, the good news of what God has done for me in Christ through the Holy Spirit I beseech you by the mercies of God. The good news of the gospel drives the imperatives, drives the law in its third use. Listen, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see that? By the mercies of God, therefore present yourself to God. You have not inherited the forgiveness of your sins and justification by grace only, only to have your sanctification determined by a covenant of law, do this and live. In other words, you haven't been brought in by grace, and God says, now get really busy to complete it. It's not how it works. Sanctification is a grace that is imparted to you by faith in Christ, just like justification is. And so what we do in this gospel mystery of sanctification is we look to Christ by faith alone, and we trust him to save us from sin's guilt and from sin's power. 
And so it's not let go and let God, but it is, listen, trust God, trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the, listen, from, and salvation from the power of sin. Trust Christ for that and get going. It's the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3. I have been laid hold of by Christ, and now I press forward to become more of who I am in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for Christ, who is the grace of God. Thank you that we can look to Christ by faith alone, to trust him, to save us from sin's guilt and power. And through this good news, we can be driven to press on, to reach forward, to lay hold of that which is ahead of us, not for merit, but by grace. Teach us to live out of gratitude. Help us not to despair because we will fail and we will sin. But help us and teach us like the Apostle Paul to look out of ourselves, to look upward to faith in Christ and outward to our neighbor in love and to give good works to those who are in need. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Christian Life is Not a Solo Effort, Part 2. More messages from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 